welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasida, working with NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP and uh, NHS Somerset Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And we're really pleased to welcome today Anne Diamond, um, and we're talking about building resilience. But Anne, tell us about yourself, where you come, where what your background is, and what what's happening, what's going on. Thanks, Andrew. I'm really um, honoured to be here. Thanks, Andrew and Peter, for having me. Um, yeah, my name's Anne Diamond. I'm uh, the Health and Wellbeing Officer at Somerset Association of Local Councils. But um, my accent, as you can tell, probably isn't from Somerset. Um, I've moved around the country quite a lot. But um, yeah, I moved back here about 10 years ago to um, fulfil some care and responsibilities for my in-laws. But um, my background um, started out as a scientist, um, uh, trained as a water biologist, and then ended up in molecular biology somehow, and then um, migrating to health and safety for many years. So um and then when I moved back to Somerset, um, moved more into health and wellbeing. So I worked for Health Connections Mendic briefly and um, lots of other health and safety and health and wellbeing roles. And then in 2019, I'd had enough of health and safety consultancy because there's a lot of traveling and family and decided to go back to art college, which may not seem like a logical um, choice, but actually that's what I love, being creative. And um, then that led to... Um, a job in social prescribing uh, with the Sparks on a set. So I led the Thriving Communities Project last year. And now I'm doing health and wellbeing. That's fascinating. And your title I see on your your background is Health and Wellbeing Officer for SALC. So who are SALC and what does a health what does health and wellbeing officer do? Well, I'm um, SALC is Somerset Association of Local Councils. We're a membership organisation and we support the town and parish council sector in Somerset. So we are a membership organisation, but the work I'm funded to do is funded by Public Health from Somerset County Council. And I support every town and parish council and parish meeting in Somerset. And I love the... The title of resilience, because it's something we all need at the moment. I think after the last few years, one way and another, we're all feeling a bit ground down and our resilience has been knocked out of us. So mm-hmm. tell us what sort of things we can do to build resilience in, in uh, ourselves and those around us. Gosh, that's a really challenging question, Peter. <laughs> um, well, <Good>. actually, um, <laughs> well, as I said, I, I host a podcast in my own time and um, it's called Creating Resilience. And Somebody, one of my pre, uh, recent guests asked me, challenged me on the use of the word resilience, actually, because it can be, it can be an excuse for expecting people to be stronger and, you know, put up with a lot of things that, that are challenging for them emotionally and physically. And um, yes, resilience is is good for helping you move through challenging times and you know learn from them. But it's not an excuse not to expose people to challenging situations. So I think it's a bit of a double-edged, double-edged sword there, really. So resilience is something that is. There's a story about trees that were grown in a, you know, an environment where they were given everything they needed, and you know, every nutrient, all the amount of sunlight, amount of water they needed, but they weren't subject. They were in a sort of a dome, glass dome. And they weren't subject to any stresses of wind and and, and other other things. And their roots 
were so shallow because they hadn't been subjected to these stresses and strains that, you know, when they were exposed to them, they just fell over because they hadn't had these challenges throughout their life. And I think some of us, we do need a certain amount of challenges in our life to be resilient, but it's not an excuse to subject us to them and expect us to get through them all. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And it's a lovely metaphor, the roots going stronger on the tree. As they say, what doesn't break us makes us stronger. So we need challenges to help us. But the word resilience, as you were hinting, has got a sort of a a connotation, not, not a dirty word, but it's a connotation of, oh, it's your fault that you're not resilient enough. It's We, we need to be in an environment that helps us to thrive, work or, or life, but we also need to develop those skills of of, of of strength within us because i think i'm going to show my um my pedanticness now um i think resilience comes back comes from the latin probably uh, meaning bounce bouncing or bounce back ability something like that have to have to find a latin dictionary and look i have to take your word on that listen. andrew i'm not a latin expert <laughs> well i'm not sure actually about that but anyway peter help me out of that am i digging myself into a hole there <laughs> oh, I, I, it's always fun digging us, ourselves into holes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the idea of resilience isn't that you resist stress, but that you kind of bend with it, mm-hmm. but then have something in you that allows you to bounce back afterwards. Is is that how you see it, Anne? Yes, but also I don't think it's an individual issue because resilience can um, be to do with your circles of support and it can be to do with the wider influences. Um, I sort of I'm communicating I'm, I'm training and, and supporting councils and sharing the um the wider determinants of health and you know that in that model um you know you've got the individual factors which you know the individual strengths and experiences and abilities to cope but you've also got their circles of support you've got their um the lifestyle chat factors you know thing their diet and exercise and all the things that you know we, we tell people you should do this you should do that to keep healthy but then you've got their social and community uh, factors so you know how safe their environment is whether they've got a job what their educational um opportunities are and then you've got the wider societal factors as well so the economic situation so all those things can affect people's resilience and some of them are within their control and some of them aren't and that's a really important important uh, point to make that we we're not just trees standing alone by ourselves in a field. We're surrounded by by other trees that can affect us. Um, just to to cheer up the the, the pedant in us, um, our producer uh, David has confirmed that Andrew is absolutely right, and it does come from the Latin uh, meaning to rebound or recoil. Thank you. Every day's a school day, isn't it? So we've learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some practical ways in which we can become more resilient. And I'm guessing from your earlier comments that artistic endeavours would, would be a part of that, would it? Oh, yes. I'm a big, I'm a big um, advocate for creativity as a resilience tool. And and I um, the first response when people I mention about creativity in most people is, oh, I'm not an artist. I've, I've not got a creative bone in my body. And actually, I sort of try and, because I'm a coach, I'm a stress and resilience coach, I'm trained um, in personalised care conversations as well. So I support people in the NHS with those um, that training. And I invite them to say, well, what other ways could you be creative? And, you know, even the way we cook and pre- present food or the way we dress, the way we express ourselves, that's all about creativity. And then going back to 
thinking about how how we respond to stress you know the the different the different models of how our brain works and how we respond to stress which you are far more probably knowledgeable about that than me but the way i teach it in the workshops that i do is that we have to get past the safety brain first so you know thinking about the simple three three brain models so we have to feel safe while all our safety needs are met then we have to uh, deal with the emotional responses to something and then we access the, the creative part of our brain so if you think about it in that model if we're able to be creative and be in flow by definition we're safe and our emotional needs are being met so actually if you're being creative it's actually a really good marker that you're actually okay in that moment so i i, I love the fact that we you know in the thriving communities project we did last year and helping people to access creative and other activities but creative activities actually supported their well-being not only because they were doing the creative activity, it wasn't what they created, it was actually the the, the environment they were creating in. So they were in a, in a social group, they were in a safe, warm space, and they were learning as well. So there's lots of ads or add-ons, but the creativity was the theme of that. Interesting. So accessing our creativity and and using it and having the right place to use it actually fulfills our emotional uh, needs and our safety needs almost automatically because we can't feel creative if we're not safe and yeah. you were able to do some workshops on that what what sort of things were you doing in the workshops and tell us a little bit more it sounded fascinating um well last year i did some workshops with uh, some set artworks which were funded by somerset skills and learning and um they were mindful art making which i did with a wonderful artist called miriam shepherd we, we co-facilitated those and one we did for a local um arts group in wales so people who are interested in arts and crafts and that was wonderful so some of them were art artist artistic some of them weren't they were just coming to learn and that was interesting because they just learned simple it's just taking away the fear of the blank page it was just just play it was just creative play and we did the same workshop but slightly tweaked for professional artists at yeovil art space and it was so interesting to see how they responded differently to that workshop. And the professional artists said, you know, they they create all the time. They're professional artists in very many in a wide range of disciplines. But they said we don't play often enough. And they really enjoyed the workshop because they 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 were able to be creative, but in a playful way, not rather than being for work. And yeah, it was fascinating. And what you're describing there reminds me of uh, Paul Clay, the artist, who said that uh, when he painted, he took a line for a walk. Exactly. So a, a playful way. But you use the phrase mindful mark making. Can you yes. tell us a bit more about what that means? Oh, there's lots of ways to be. I mean, mind, I bring mindfulness into all these workshops that I do because my, being mindful, being present is is connected with being creative, really, because, you know, um, the biggest lesson I learned when I when I moved from a health and safety, I mentioned health and safety career. When I went back to college to be a, a mature student at Stroud College to do a foundation art design, I was 48. <laughs> Give my age away there. I was 48. I went to college with all these 17 year olds. I was terrified, you know, you know, making a fool of myself. And the first thing I learned was to celebrate your mistakes. Now, after 20 years in health and safety, you can't you don't do mistakes because mistakes can be fatal you know and you're always looking for other people's errors and mistakes and things going wrong but being at college if I made a mistake on the paper or something we, we, we went with it so taking a line for a walk for example is 
you know, it doesn't matter if the line's not straight or it doesn't matter how you draw it, where you draw it. Just go with it and see where it goes. Do it with your eyes closed. And it's just letting go of this inner critic when you're doing it. And that can, that, that, that improves resilience itself, doesn't it? Just switching off your inner critic. I think what you're saying there is really interesting. And I do some oil painting. Um, mm -hmm. And what is wonderful about it, A, you lose yourself in it completely. Nothing else matters. You look at the world in a different way. But B, you do sometimes make mistakes and they can turn out actually better than what you intended. So it's going on that journey uh, uh, rather than it, it having the destination in mind at the beginning. That's the exciting thing for me. Is that something you experience? Yeah, celebrating mistakes, as I said, in my um, career in health and safety, I didn't ever make mistakes. And in art, the first thing I learned when I went back to college was mistakes are celebrated. And one of the simple exercises that I use with people to take the fear of um, the blank page is drawing a breath. So that connects breath practice with making a mark on the paper. And it's as simple as putting a pen or whatever mark making tool you want on the piece of paper and when you breathe in, you go round in a circle for the in-breath, keeping the in contact with the paper. And when you breathe out, you continue that line. And I did this exercise in a workshop I was running for the Glastonbury Trust um, on creating connection, which was create connection with your emotions. And I asked them just to connect with their breath. And out of the nine people in that workshop, everyone did that differently. Same simple instruction, but the marks on the paper were completely different. And the same with the art workshop with the artists. They did a simple um, mark-making exercise. And, and then we did a sound exercise, actually. We played a sound of a forest, just a simple sound file of birdsong in a forest. And they had to respond to that on, on a piece of paper. And every one of them responded with different colours, different styles, different images, because... It doesn't matter, does it? You just respond from what's in your head. And sometimes you intend to respond in a certain way, but actually your subconscious mind, the one that's beyond the inner critic, will respond. And you think, oh, I didn't think about that, but actually that's really what you want to express. And that's why art therapy is so effective and play therapy, because it's helping you express what's there that you don't feel safe to express. And this is completely new to me, the idea of of following my breathing and doing something on paper. And I'm fascinated by it. So what sort of comments do people make? What effects does it have? Does it throw them into, into confusion and consternation? Are they are they upset by it? Or what 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 happens, Anne? Well, it's a combination of breath breath work and mindfulness and um yeah, it's it's it's. I think they're fascinated by it, and actually, they say, "Well, I could do this anyway." You know, if I'm sitting in a meeting or sitting, you know, sitting waiting, if I want to calm myself down, because as you know, that you know the the effects of breath work and practice, it slows down, it taps into your um, autonomous nervous systems, it slows your breathing, slows your heart rate, affects your smooth muscle, you know, can relax muscles. So, just that act of putting a pen on paper, breathing in, and then breathing out you're consciously slowing yourself down and taking yourself out of whatever thought cycle you're in. And some people will say, well, that's all very well, but I've got really busy lives. I don't have time to do this. But presumably the idea is that if we make that time, then, as you say, it affects our autonomic nervous system. We're more relaxed. And so we're then able to deal with stressful situations in work or elsewhere 
in a, in a better prepared state. Is that is that the idea? Um, well, there's a saying, I don't know if it's Chitnahan that it's attributed to, but he says, if you don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes a day, you should meditate for an hour. <laughs> and and whatever form meditation can take, it could be going for a walk, it could be listening to a meditation track, it could be doing some sort of form of um, body mind-body practice like yoga or tai chi or whatever you choose to do. If you take 10 minutes a day, five minutes a day, whatever time you have, even several times a day. When I was in health and safety, I advised five minutes every hour away from the screen or whatever to get keep yourself moving, get the blood flowing. Um, they didn't like that when I did the SE risk assessments and they, I, got, I, I told an academic to step away from the computer five minutes every hour. That wasn't a very popular suggestion. Um, yeah, so, you know, those five, ten minutes a day, everyone can find that. There's, there's nobody I know that couldn't find that amount of time in a day. Um, actually... So I say calms down the anxious thoughts, helps you have a clearer mind and gets you out of that. Those we talked about the, the you know, the um the safety and the emotional brain, gets you into that higher prefrontal cortex part of the brain to actually have clearer thoughts. And I lots of CEOs, I've been reading a book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And, you know, he meditates for an hour a day. You know, he he deals with the top you know see corporates and in, in the world sort of thing and lots of top executives top corporate people busy people find time to meditate every day that's interesting because um we we can use an image of a bucket that's being filled all the time with pressures uh, and eventually it will overflow but how do we how do we let those pressures go how do we deal with them um we can have various taps lower down on the bucket that are just letting it empty all the time at a steady rate and so mindfulness meditation would be one of those and physical mm. exercise would be another and creativity lots of ways yeah lots of ways i mean some people find a creative practice that they enjoy it could be music it could be drawing it could be sewing it could be knitting whatever you know i'm, I'm taking part in a five-day stitch club challenge this week and um, just doing some textile art and that's really good fun as well just playing with old bits of fabric you find around the house but it's, it's all creativity so a lot of us, when we're under pressure and everything feels a bit out of control, we we respond by trying to be more in control of the situation. What you're describing is letting go of that mm-hmm. and, and letting the situation take you on a journey that you're not controlling. Is that challenging for some people? Yeah, well, one of the workshops that I run for Glassman Trust is called Creating Calm. And um, I tr- it's... It's, it's where, how we understand how our brain works, because if we're in doing mode all the time, that's part of our inner critic, isn't it? We're sort of constantly saying, well, we've got this next, we've got this next. We're constantly on alert, hypervigilant to be, oh, what's next? Oh, how much time? And you're constantly watching the clock. Whereas if you're just in being mode and allowing yourself to obviously get things done, but doing them in a more mindful way, you're switching off that stress response circuit in your brain. So by by definition, you've got more energy because you you're not using all your energy up in the doing mode and all that cortisol and other things that are flying around your body. You know you that they have impacts in your body, don't they? Sort of physical and mental impacts. So actually, it's it's it sounds a bit weird, but if you take your foot off the accelerator for a little while and actually go in cruise control a bit more, you actually get more done. I love what you're saying and the distinction you're drawing, Anne, between 
human beings and human doings because so often we find ourselves driven and buzzing and uh probably on autonomic overdrive of of stimulation and and uh, and sympathetic overdrive and uh, we find ourselves human doings and we forget that primarily we are human beings who have a choice whether we do or not or whether we be still or whether we're in flow but once we are in that human doing mode task driven we end up with four problems which i'm sure peter knows well but uh, but they're the, the problems of of um wheels ladders holes and tribes if you don't mind me <laughs> expounding on those briefly the problem of the wheel is the hamster wheel that we're on either of our own making or somebody else has has offered us or given us to do in our work life or or otherwise and the ladder's problem is that we find ourselves climbing the rungs of the ladder on a on an hourly daily weekly monthly or or um, career basis only to find when we get near the top that it's up the wrong wall and that there's a snake to take us all the way down again. The uh, holes problem is that as as human beings, we find ourselves in difficulty sometimes. And the natural response, or rather a, a common response to finding ourselves in difficulties, is to reach for the nearest spade and dig our hole deeper <laughs> and uh, maybe even ask for help doing it. And finally, as, as tribes, there's the... Um, there's the tragic tribe of of the where on earth are we tribe who are three foot tall uh, and they live in uh, four foot deep um, vegetation. That's a metre tall, metre and a half dead vegetation. They spend all day running around in small circles saying, where on earth are we? Where on earth are we? And those those four problems seem to flow from being task driven, uh, a human doing uh, and losing focus of the big version. Um, yes, Peter, I gave the sanitised version. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard you mention that in a previous episode. I've been listening to your episodes, and I find that really interesting. Um, I've just finished writing a book about um, burnout, actually, because obviously from my health and safety background, I'm very interested in that. And the wheels part and the ladder part, obviously, I play a big factor in that. And again, that that burnout's part of being resilient. And so partly why I've said the comments at the beginning of this podcast about resilience, because burnout has been associated with individual weakness and all, you know, actually it's about the workplace. And um, there is um, international standard because um, I'm, I'm still I'm still got one foot in the health and safety camp because I'm still a judge on an international health and safety award for ROSPA. And I get to interview top corporate CEOs when they come for the final and about, you know, how they my question is always about um, how they um, implement management standards for stress. And um, you'd be surprised to hear that some top directors don't understand what they are, um, which doesn't really get them to win the award. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, yeah, so um, burnout is not about the individual not responding to, not being able to respond to workplace stress. It's actually about the work work conditions and about how they are treated at work and how their work is organised. Yes, there are some individual factors in that. But um, so the wheels and the ladder, you know, they can vary for individuals, can't they? So, you know, we have to think about these because it's not always about the individual. It is about we go back to these wider determinants of health, about the situation they find themselves in. So if you're in a home that's cold or you know, you can't afford to eat very well, or you're not heated, you're not going to be able to manage that, being on that wheel for as easily as somebody who's more well off. And that's really what I'm doing in my day job with, with SARC is helping councils to support their communities to address some of these issues and, you know, affecting people's health and well-being. 
And it's great that uh, you're employed to do that um, by Somerset County Council to help that because we think of resilience as, a, as maybe a personal attribute, but actually, um, if we're not trained to drive cars, we will have car accidents. So at, at one level, it's an organisational responsibility, perhaps, that we need to we need to look at the issues of health, of well-being, of bounce-back ability, uh, mm-hmm. and get the environment right to help us thrive. Yeah, no, we, we, I mean, really, the project's about supporting town and parish councils because obviously there's a lot of reorganisation going on in the council sector in some set but supporting town and parish councils to support their communities and co-produce um things with their communities and it's not about access to better mental health services or access to you know um health services per se because that plays one part but as i said it's about the wider determinants of health so it's about supporting them so if they're making a planning decision on a new housing development or um to give funding for a diff, you know a play park or something like that it's about thinking how the, how that could impact not only one group in, in their community but the wider group so adding value to that and working together in partnership with you know the many charities and organizations that are in that area so connecting them together and um training them supporting them and we have got some grant funding as well so it's getting them to think about what are the wider implications of decisions they're making I think that's really important you, that you say it's a, a, an organisational issue because uh, so often uh, we're told to just toughen up and uh, get on with things. And certainly in health we are. Whereas from what you're saying, that's not the message we should be given. It's that we're all put under stress in different ways, that there are techniques we can learn to deal with that better. And it's not our fault if if we're feeling stressed and, and showing symptoms from that. Is, is that right? Well, no, because I mean, you look at the evidence base for for health, the life expectancy, and and you know, um, deprivate the link between deprivation and and health and well being across the country. Sir Michael Marmot obviously led on this. You know, it, it's been there's lots of evidence to show that it's not the individuals, it's the circumstances they are in. And if you know, the, the example I mentioned was about burnout. The um, the person from the health and safety executive who was who was pitching this international um, standard on on um, workplace work, workplace well-being said, "Well, if you have a pond of fish and you have one fish that's sick in the pond, you treat the fish. If suddenly all the fish start getting sick, you don't treat the fish; you treat the pond. And that's pretty much what I'm trying to do: is help the pond, as in the local council areas, to say, okay, what can we do collectively and and for communities to support the communities, not just the individuals. Love it. I think that's such a great uh, way of looking at it, Anne. And um, what's your book called and your podcast and where can people find you online? book will be called Turning the Tables on Burnout because um, that's about our beliefs. I probably haven't got time to discuss now. Our beliefs, I believe, well, I'm an EFT, an emotional freedom technique practitioner as well. They're tabletops. So the tabletop of the belief is formed by different legs that could be formed that that are influenced by our society, our, you know, family values and things like that. So it's Turning the Tables on Burnout and the podcast is called Creating Resilience with Anne Diamond, Creative Changemaker. Thank you. Brilliant. And I think we've, in this podcast, kind of done what we've talked about in that we started off as a tree 
Uh, we've ended up as a fish in a pond and we've kind of taken the podcast for a walk without quite knowing where we're going to end up. But I'm I'm delighted. I've been delighted to go on the, on the journey and uh, discover a lot of things as we've as we've gone along. Andrew, did you want to have any last words? Absolutely. No, thank you very much indeed, Anne, for coming along as our guest to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast. And it's great to have you and hear about the great work that you're doing in Somerset and the area that you're involved with. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.